This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Forsyth. So James, the week began with warnings of an imminent fishing war between the UK and France, but those threats now appear to have retreated somewhat. Yes, so this weekend, David Frost and Clement Bone were indulging the rather undiplomatic Twitter spat with David Frost having a long Twitter thread about his point of view and the UK point of view on the fishing crisis, then Clement Bone writing a kind of point-by-point refutation of it, and things were all part of the bad, the kind of diplomatic ill will between the UK and France. But there is now some progress, which is that uh, David Frost is going to Paris on Thursday to see Clement Bowen, who is Macron's Europe minister, and, and is very politically close to Macron in the way that Frost is politically close to Johnson. Uh, for talks in, uh, not just on the fishing issue, but also on the Northern Ireland Protocol, France is one of the most hardline states on this question. And I think the question then becomes, does France take any of the steps that it was threatening in terms of extra checks on lorries or not? It's not doing that at the moment. And has France decided to kind of de-escalate, realising that it, it had maybe got a little bit far ahead on its skis, and also that you know that there might be other ways to get some of this information? I mean, there's also a tension, which is that the, one of the problems, I think, is the UK side is saying, look, so some of these French boats that claim they were fishing in these waters on this time, commercially available data suggests that their description of where they were on those dates is not entirely accurate. So, But I think the, the bigger question is, does this meeting between Frost and Clement Bone kind of actually improve things on the fishing front, but also create a slightly more constructive attitude around the Northern Ireland Protocol. At the moment, the UK and EU positions are seem quite entrenched and an agreement seems quite far away. On Monday morning, we had Zafkovic, the Vice President, Commission Vice President, dealing with this issue, writing the Telegraph, essentially accusing the UK of spoiling for a fight on the issue. You had David Frost writing an introduction to a think tank paper by Policy Exchange, basically saying that the EU had destroyed cross-community consent for the protocol in Northern Ireland. So I think the question becomes, kind of, you know, can you get a change with that? Because if you can't get some kind of negotiated agreement on the protocol, then I think EU-UK relations will, will get into a really bad place because as that issue plays out, you'll then, that will then coincide with the French presidency in the new year and the combination of EU anger at the UK over the protocol, the French presidency of the EU and the French presidential election, it is really not difficult to see how you could quickly end up in a pretty full-blown trade war. Now, Isabel, back here in the UK, when it comes to what's happening in Parliament this week, we are heading to a vote tomorrow regarding Owen Paterson. Now, this comes after a report by the Standards Commissioner, which is pretty damning in uh, terms of what he was, he was allegedly doing on lobbying. Can you just bring us up to date on what Owen Paterson has been accused of, uh, and therefore what this vote in the Commons is going to be on? So, Owen Paterson has been under investigation for two years over paid consultancy work for two companies, Randox and Lynn's Country Foods. And it was basically a, a paid advocacy investigation because he was asking questions in the Commons that related in, in one way or the other 
according to the allegations against him, to these uh, firms. And his argument is that he was acting as a whistleblower and he was asking really important questions about contaminated milk and carcinogens in food. And the investigation that was carried out by the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner, according to him and his allies, was not fair because she admitted in her reports that she had decided he was guilty before she met with him, which is something he objects to. He also provided 17 witness statements uh, who wanted to speak in his report and uh, she declined to take oral evidence from him. Then what then happened is that it's a slightly convoluted process, but then there is a a standards committee in Parliament which is made up of MPs and lay members. This committee then votes on the sanctions for the breaches of the standards and this is a cross-party committee and they said it was an egregious breach of the code and he should be suspended for 30 days which would then trigger the possibility of a by-election in his seat because his seat would be eligible for a recall petition which then leads to a by-election. Tomorrow MPs will approve or vote against this suspension of Owen Patterson and It's fair to say there's been quite a hefty operation in Owen Patterson's favour from MPs such as David Davis, who say that the principles of natural justice haven't been followed. Uh, On the other hand, you have Speaker Lindsay Hoyle, who is arguing that for MPs to vote against a sanction does not reflect the House in a particularly good light. Now, this is all very complicated in and of itself, but what makes this hugely complex and sensitive is that Owen Patterson has said that His wife, Rose, who killed herself last year, had been very distressed by this investigation and he believes that the escalation of the investigation was a contributory factor in her death by suicide. The committee were very upset when a letter uh, from Owen Patterson to the committee about this was leaked to the press. They felt it was an attempt to bounce them into reaching a certain conclusion. And I think a lot of MPs on both sides of this, regardless of their views of uh, Owen Patterson's activities, allegedly on behalf of these companies, feel very uncomfortable about the whole thing because they do, on one one hand, they do not want somebody to appear to get away with what has been called egregious breaches of the code. They don't like the idea of MPs appearing to mark their own homework and let one of their own off. On the other hand, They have a a grieving fellow MP who has already been through hell. And I think it's it's very, very difficult for for a lot of MPs, even those who don't particularly like Owen Patterson, actually, or who think that he has uh, that he's absolutely sort of banged to rights in the uh, verdict of the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner. So this is this is going to be a very tense and very awkward situation within the Commons. James, what are you picking up in terms of uh, how the government is going to advise MPs to vote on this? Because it's quite clear, as Isabel touched on, there's a backbench Tory support for yeah. Owen Patterson. Many think he's been hard done by. And there's also, probably more broadly, um, quite a lot of suspicion on the Tory side of the Standards Commissioner in the first place, if you look at uh, rulings related to Boris Johnson. Yes, Jacob Rees-Mogg, the leader of the, of the House, has suggested a concern sympathy for Owen Patterson's predicament and also a sympathy with his not just about the situation about his wife Rose but but also about the way the process works and the process here does seem strange it seems very strange 
to someone used to to the kind of English system of justice, that you have someone basically decide that they're not going to speak to the witnesses because they think this person is guilty. I mean, that seems a very odd logic. And I mean, there is also an issue here, which is that Owen Paterson's defence is this wasn't paid advocacy. He, he, He was essentially seeking to alert people to public health issues. Now, there do seem to be... In, to be fair to Ambassador, there do seem to be public health issues that he was alerting people to. I think one of the problems you've got is that Ambassador, it might seem odd to say this about someone who's been a cabinet minister in two departments and held the role of kind of Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. He, he can. I think possibly be a slightly oddly naive figure, that as, as Charles Moore, who's been a friend of his for many years. But you know, that, that, you know, he is a bull in a china shop. I think it was obviously it was not is not particularly sensible for someone who has been paid uh, a large amount of money by outside interest when on hearing of this to kind of roll in uh, all, all guns blazing, saying what is going on with this, what is happening. But I also think that the standards commissioner has kind of mishandled the investigation. I think that. One complaint you hear from both Labour and Tory MPs is that these investigations take an awfully long time. They're not speedily done. And I mean, they also reflect this uncomfortable hybrid, as Isabel was saying, that because there's a kind of sense that MPs shouldn't mark their own homework. So this Standards Committee that Isabel was referring to it has lay members on it. The Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards is not an MP or a peer or a former parliamentarian. And yet the process by which they are investigated is protected by parliamentary privilege, which means that essentially they can't challenge it anywhere else because Parliament is a, is a court in, in and of its own right. And so I think I think there is I think there is a problem here, and I think it is a, a, a problem waiting to happen. Do you remember when there was that row about whether Boris Johnson had declared his holiday correctly? There was lots of muttering about what would happen if the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner recommended suspending the Prime Minister. Right now, that obviously didn't happen in that instance. But I think this is a system that is clearly not fit to deal with the kind of stuff that it is now trying to deal with. And it needs to put on a better footing. And I don't think you can carry on having a situation where MPs can be investigated, the Commission of Standards sits in, you know, in, and delivers their verdict, and MPs have no recourse to arguing about it, especially because these arguments are going to start taking place on the floor of the House of Commons, which is precisely what the Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hall, doesn't want to happen because of the obvious reputational damage that causes to Parliament. So I think this whole system needs looking at again, and it needs to be quicker, and it needs to be more professional, and I think it needs to be conducted Rather, I think there was a kind of attempt to avoid any view that this was a kind of establishment stitch up. But I think, given the complexities involved, it would be far more sensible to get a former judge in or someone like that to sit in and bring a bit of legal rigour to the process. Now, Isabel, when we're talking about the Tory party, there's another uh, former Tory MP has had the whip removed, um, who's making headlines. This is Rob Roberts. Now, he was stripped of the whip after an independent parliament panel found that he broke the sexual misconduct policy by making repeated and unwanted advances to a man. Now we have news that he has had his Conservative Party membership restored. How is that landing within the parliamentary party? He still isn't a Tory MP, he's an independent. Um, he's had his 12-week suspension, but is there any even at this? No, not really. It's, it's very different to the Owen Paterson issue. Um, I think Conservative MPs are very embarrassed to see him on their benches, by and large. He still sits there, even though he's had the whip removed. He still asks questions. And uh, I, I think I've heard him sort of use sort of familiar terms for the Prime Minister, for instance, when he's asked a question at PMQs to sort of try to suggest he's still 
in the gang uh, when he he's not he's not being readmitted uh, to the Conservative whip. But hey, you know that he's been allowed his Conservative membership back. He's refusing to step down to allow a by-election to take place in his seat. And because the uh, the rules on recall uh, don't apply retrospectively, in his case they were re- recently changed, then he's basically just sitting in the Commons and claiming his MP's salary, having had a, a pretty grim investigation uh, against his behaviour on, on a number of different counts. And, uh, I mean, this is the sort of thing, aside from the, the ins and outs of the Owen Paterson case, but this is the sort of thing that really brings Parliament into disrepute because people see politicians who are, uh, I suppose, the sort of stereotypical, selfish, venal people who shouldn't be in Parliament, claiming lots of taxpayers' money and refusing to take responsibility for their actions. So uh, this is a, a huge embarrassment for the Conservative Party. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. And while we have you here, just a reminder that if you would like to hear further analysis of the news of the day, do sign up to The Evening Blend, written by Isabel Hardman. Um, To find that, just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash blend.